podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Good boys and girls, two-footed podcast on Friday the 23rd of September, brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider, a virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from, while also keeping your data safe. So UK expats wanting access to BBC iPlayer, Liberty Shield VPN can get you where you want to go and Keep that data safe from the miscreants and the ne'er-do-wells. Go to libertyshield.com right now and use the code EPL25. That's EPL25 to get 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homework company located in Scotland but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. They're also available on Facebook. And... Do check out our EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you can find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL or EPL10 or RED10 to get 10% off at checkout. Do make sure you are listening to the other podcasts available from EPL Index. Those are a tad predictable, hosted by my good man Tadiwa. That is on this feed. There will be no podcast this week. Tadiwa doesn't do international stuff. He sees it as below him. So he just focuses on the league. So he'll be back next week with a podcast preview next weekend's games. And there is the EPL Roundtable, which is more of a review show, a discussion-based show with Kevin DeVries and a host of guests. The most recent one is just me and Kev. It's part two of our transfer window review. So do give that a listen when you get a chance. Right, folks, um, it is a Friday in an international break, so there isn't a whole lot for me to talk about today, but I do have that question from Isaac Gilding from yesterday, so I'm going to give give that a bash. And Andy Wales has asked me to put together what he calls a bastard's 11. Now, that to me means someone that is either a hard man or someone that dabbles in the dark arts of the game, or a combination of both. So, we're going to do this. We're going to start with this. I'm going to limit this to, say, 1995 and onwards, I suppose. Um, So I'm not going to pick, like, Graeme Souness. I'm not going to pick the likes of... Tommy Smith or Ron Chopper Harris or Norman Hunter or any of those guys that were legendary players. I'm not going to pick the likes of Vinnie Jones because one of the rules I have about this is you have to be a good player to be included in one of my teams. And while Vinnie Jones was a complete psychopath, um, he wasn't a very good footballer. So he's not getting in the team. So... Let's begin. Let's start up front. I'm going to play a two-man front two. A two-man front two. A two-man strike force. We are going to go with Luis Suarez, a master of the dark arts. Whether it was play acting, whether it was getting under defender's skin, Luis Suarez was, at his peak, probably the best I've ever seen at this. Partnering him... It has to be Diego Costa, the new Wolves centre forward. Again, like Suarez, a master of the dark arts, but in Costa's case, also also a tough guy that not many people are going to mess with. So I'm going to go with those two up front. I'm going to go with Zinedine Zidane as a number 10 behind these two because I thought one of the things about Zidane Aside from the incredible footballing ability was just how much of a bastard he was capable of being. 
everybody remembers the headbutt in the World Cup final in 06 on Matarazzi. But Zidane was also sent off a bunch of times in his career for stamping on people, for kicking people, for a variety of different things. So we're going to go with Zidane in behind Suarez and Costa. The midfield, for me, picks itself. Roy Keane at the base of the diamond. About as hard as they come. Patrick Vieira. As one of the box-to-box players. Just nasty. Would happily leave a little bit late on a tackle. Would throw an elbow in here and there. Had real bite about him from a personality point of view as well. Was always ready for a scrap. And likewise, Javier Mascherano. A head case. And when his head went, it went to places that nobody wanted to know about. If you remember when he got sent off at Old Trafford playing for Liverpool, Torres was getting kicked up and down the pitch. And the referee was doing nothing about it. Mascherano had already been booked. Torres got fouled. Mascherano went over to ask the referee if he was finally going to book one of the United players and got sent off. He was incredulous about getting sent off and then his head went. And it was one of the more terrifying things I've seen on a football pitch. Because if he... If he had been allowed, I I think he may well have beaten the referee to death with his own boots. So we're going to go with Mascherano. Also, also a player that dabbled in the dark arts. Was happy enough to throw himself on the ground and roll around if he thought it was going to benefit him. Obviously an incredibly good ball winner. Hard as nails. 5'8", went and played centre-back to a high level as well. You can't do that unless you've got a little bit about you. So... I think my midfield and attack is looking particularly good right now. I did consider George Weah as the second striker, but instead of, instead of Costa. But I do think if you Diego Costa is like the definition of a bastard, so I'm, I've got to go with him. In defence, then uh, Paulo Montero will have to be the left back. You could. Call him a hard man, you call him a scumbag, but he fits the criteria for this. Tough as nails. Never, ever gave a back step. Next to him, I'm going Diego Godin, who in his early career was a lunatic and would frequently get himself sent off by being hyper-aggressive. Once he got to Atleti and once Simeone arrived... Simeone managed to channel that aggression and turn Godin into arguably the best centre-back in the world for a couple of years. Also a player who could bring the dark arts in from both sides in terms of the subtle fouls and things he would do to opposing strikers and then how he would overreact when strikers turned around to seek retribution. So we're going to go with him. Next to him, I'm going Jürgen Kohler, German centre-back, immensely good at his best, always played right on the edge of what was allowed and what wasn't allowed. Now, Billy Costa Curtis is a bit unfortunate not to get in here as well, because he was very much the same. They would push the limits of what they could get away with. They would test referees early and then test them often. They were properly hard men who didn't take a single back step against anybody. The other one I considered here, and I I do wonder if if I'm making a mistake by not picking this guy, is Ricardo Carvalho, who was immensely dirty, but gave off this aura of being this Rolls Royce center back, this ball playing, cultured, 
from the school of Nesta and Maldini type of centre back, but he was he was filthy when it came to it. He would stand on people's toes, he'd stand on their Achilles, he'd drag out of them, he'd pull their armpit hair, he'd do whatever it takes. And I may actually I may actually have to put him in here. I'm wondering. I'm not going to put him at right back. The, the cop-out will be to put him at right back. I know I've put Montero at left back, but Montero did play left back a lot. I'm not going to put Carvalho at right back because I never saw him play right back. So I'm actually going to put him in instead of, yeah, instead of Jurgen Kohler. Jurgen Kohler was great, though. Oh, brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Right, right back then. He's more noted as a centre-back, but I think he was much better as a right-back, as both a player and a bastard. And that's Sergio Ramos. I think if Ramos had stayed right-back for his entire career, he would legitimately be in conversations about the best right-back ever. Now, people put him in conversations about being the best centre-back ever, but he doesn't belong there. You know when people talk about Ramos with Nest with like Nesta and Berezi and Jurgen Kohler and whoever else you want to put into that mix, it's very much the meme of the soldiers with the clown stood in the middle. And he is that clown. As a centre back, a defensive liability for much of his career, would make up for his own mistakes by using his great athleticism and desperation tackles and things like that, but relied heavily on Pepe and Varane to bail him out time after time after time. But as a right back, he was different. As a right back, he was a better defender. Now, he did obviously rely on his on his centre-back to cover him, but that's more acceptable at right back. He wouldn't have been as good as Turam. But defensively, he was much better than the likes of Cafu and Danny Alves. And going forward, he was better than Turan. I would still say Zanetti is the best right back ever. Turan second. I think Ramos could have got potentially as high as third. I would always have those ahead of Cafu and Alves who were, were one direction players. Trent has the ability to be the best ever, but he needs to focus and lock in on the defensive side of things a bit more. He can defend. The idea that Trent can't defend is a nonsense. It's a focused thing with Trent. It's an effort thing with Trent. It's not an ability thing. I've gone off on tangent here, but... What else am I going to do on a Friday in, in an international break? I'm going to put Ramos in as my right back. So, I've got Ramos, I've got Carvalho, Godin, Montero. That's my back four. Keane, Vieira, Mascherano, and Zidane as a diamond in midfield. Suarez and Costa. The one thing I'm lacking in this team is great pace. But I think from a physicality point of view, I'm just going to bully teams. And then I've got the genius of Zidane and Suarez to win me pretty much every game. And no one is scoring on that defense. If you try and score, your legs will be broken. You have to get through that midfield to get to that defense, first things first. And if you try and do that, your legs will be broken. So I'm happy with that. I need a goalkeeper, though. Goalkeepers, by and large, are head cases. People always say you'd have to be a crazy person to be a goalkeeper. I'm going to say that my choice of goalkeeper is Harold Tony Schumacher, the German goalkeeper who played in the 82 and 86 World Cups. Uh, for his career, spent most of it at, at Cologne, then went on to Schalke, Fenerbahce, uh, Bayern Munich and Borussia Dortmund later on. 
he was a an outstanding goalkeeper and b a bastard if you don't know what i mean just go and look up just put schumacher spelled the same as michael batiston b a t t i s t o n into youtube uh the 1982 world cup tremendous comes out flings himself into batiston knocks him clean unconscious uh it ended it, it could have ended much worse um the player actually slipped into a coma briefly but came back out of it and he lost two teeth and had three cracked ribs and schumacher complained that he had a sore hip and that if Battiston had lost two teeth, tell him, he said, if that's all that's wrong, tell him I'll pay for the crowns. He did apologize, but the Frenchman thought it was insincere. Um, a French newspaper did a poll asking who was the who was the least popular man in France. Adolf Hitler finished second, and Tony Schumacher finished first, which is fairly impressive going. Uh, his his autobiography is it's must read, genuinely, it is must read. He does not care. He throws everybody under the bus. He got kicked out of the national team. He got kicked out of his club team because of what he said. He just didn't care. Uh, so I'm going Tony Schumacher. Now he is. To be fair, he is before my cutoff point. So can I can I go with him? He is from the 80s. And I did say I was going 95. Tony Schumacher should be the goalkeeper. Uh without him. Without him. I would say Chilever. Jose Luis Chilever is probably the guy. He used to clock Fords on a regular basis. He's going to punch them in the head when he thought no one was looking. Um, would attempt to kick people while jumping for uh, crosses and stuff. Uh, a bit of a, a bit of a head case. I'll go with him. I'll go with Chilever. It should be Tony Schumacher, but then I'd have to. Look at the likes of, you know, Graeme Souness would real realistically be in this team. Uh, Paul Braytoner would probably have to come into consideration. Um, I could have included Lothar Mateus, but his bastardry has had less to do with his football and more to do with the fact that he's just an arsehole. Uh, I'll go with this. I'll go Chilver, Ramos, Carvalho, Godin, Montero, Keane, Vieira, Mascherano, Zidane, Suarez and Costa. And I hope that answers that. Now, moving on, we were uh, we were asked. I was asked to do a sixty-team league, and what the final league table might look like using La Liga, Syria, and the Premier League. <clears throat> so let's start with the top of the league. Manchester City would win this league. They are the best team across the three leagues. I'm going to say that Real Madrid, reigning European Cup winners, would finish second. I think Liverpool would finish third. Fourth would be between Spurs... Spurs and Barcelona. I'm going to go Spurs because of Conte. And I'll put Barca at fifth. Um, sixth then. I would say Napoli. currently top of Syria. I would put Arsenal no Chelsea next. 
then Arsenal. Then I think I'd go Atletico Madrid. I know they've had a bad start, but we're talking about over a season and we're talking about Simeone here. So that'd be the top eight. I think Milan would finish ninth. I think Manchester United would be 10th. Next up, I think... It's hard to say with Sevilla because they've had such a dreadful start to the year. I'll go Inter in 11th. I'll go Roma in 12th. I'll go Real Betis in 13th and Sevilla in 14th. Atalanta in 15th. Juventus in 16th, which is how far they have fallen. West Ham in 17th. Real Sociedad in 18th. Villarreal in 19th. And rounding out the top 20. I'll go Newcastle. No, I won't. I'll go Wolves. I think Wolves are a better team than Newcastle. Um, I'll go Newcastle next then. 21. Wait, is that right? Four, eight. Four, eight. Oh, I, everybody's actually a position lower than I thought. So Adelante are actually 16. Juventus 17th, West Ham 18th, Sociedad 19th, Villarreal 20th. Wolves 21, Newcastle 22. Okay, 22. Um, I still think Leicester are a lot better than what we're seeing, so I'll go them next. I would say Lazio. Udinese have had a great start, but I don't know how much I can trust them. Uh, I'd go Athletic Bilbao next. Again, they've had a great start, but I, I just don't... I don't believe that they're as good as their currently position suggests, in the same way I don't believe Osasuna are the fifth best team in La Liga. Um, Athletic Bilbao, I'll, just, I'll put Udinese and I'll give them their... give them their due. That's 26... Um, I'll go Brighton next. Then Torino. Then Fiorentina. Then Valencia. Then I'll go Osasuna.
Then we will go with... I think Crystal Palace. Then that will bring me to 32. So we're over halfway through. Um, I'll go Mallorca next. They've had a good start to the season. Royal Vacano. Who well, I'm just I'm just hoping they do well. I, I, I want to see them do well. Uh then Sassuolo. Then I'm gonna put Brentford. Then I'll go Bologna. Then I go Southampton. Mallorca, I have uh, South of Vigo will be next. Okay, so that's 39. And we will round out the 40. With Salernitana, yeah, we'll go Salernitana. Okay, so that's forty. Leaves me with twenty. Um. Then I think there would be a run of Premier League teams, if I'm being honest. I think there's a bunch of Premier League teams with a smattering of, of others. So I'll go Leeds next. Then I'll go Villa, then Everton, then I'll go Empoli, then Forest, then Girona, then Fulham. Then I'll go Spezia. And then I'll go Hitafe. And I might go Espanol next. Then we'll go Lecce. Sampdoria are particularly terrible this year, but I am going to put them higher because I, I don't think they're as bad as what we're seeing. So they'll be 51st. Um, then I'll go Verona. That gets us to... That gets us to 52. Is that right? So what teams have I left? I've got Cremonese. I've got Monza. I must have missed somebody. Or do I just have a bunch of... 
Premier League wise, I think the only club I have left is Bournemouth. Let's see. City there, Arsenal there, Spurs there. Did I skip Brighton or did I do it Brighton? Have United. I have Fulham. I have Chelsea. I have Liverpool. I have Brentford. I have Leeds. Everton. Southampton. Villa. Palace. Wolves. West Ham. Forest and Leicester. So yeah, the only Premier League team I don't have included so far is Bournemouth. They're in my bottom eight. Um, Syria. I have Napoli. I have Atalanta. I have Udinese. I have Lazio. I have Roma. I have Inter. I have Juve. I have Torino, I have Fiorentina, I have Sassuolo, I have Spezia, I have Salernitana. I have Empoli, I have Lecce, I have Bologna, Verona, and Sampdoria. So yeah, I have Monza and Cremonese. So I must have five left then. I do. I have five left, I think, from from La Liga. I have Real. I have Barca. I have Betis. I have Athletic Bilbao. I have Osasuna. Villarreal. Atleti. Sociedad, Valencia, Mallorca, Girona, Vallecano, Celta Vigo, uh, Hetafe, Sevilla, I don't have Almeria. Don't have via the live. I have lost the team somewhere. I don't know how I've done this. No, I haven't. I haven't. Excuse me. I haven't. I have seven left. That's what I have. I have seven teams left. I have 40 there, 13 there. I have seven left. So, my bottom seven, Cremonese, Monza, Bournemouth, Almeria, Valladolid, Cadiz, and Elche. I would say Bournemouth are the best of them. Uh, I will go Almeria next. I would say Cremonese next. Then Valladolid. Then Monza, then Cadiz, and then Elche. So my 60-team league table would read as follows, in order, from 1 to 60. Real, uh, Manchester City, Real Madrid, Liverpool, Spurs, Barcelona, Napoli, Chelsea, Arsenal, Atletico Madrid, Milan, Manchester United and Inter. They'd be the top 12. Therefore, they'd take the 12 Champions League spots. Then I would have Roma, Real Betis, Sevilla, Atalanta, Juventus and West Ham. They will get the six Europa League spots. Real Sociedad, Villarreal and Wolves get the Europa uh, the Conference League spots. So there's your European teams. Then in mid-table... 
We've got Newcastle, Leicester, Lazio, Bilbao, Udinese, Brighton, Torino, Fiorentina, Valencia, Osasuna, Crystal Palace, Mallorca, Rio Vallecano, Sassuolo, Brentford, Bologna, Southampton, Celta Vigo, Leeds, Villa, Everton, Empoli, Forest, Girona, Fulham, Spezia, Tafe, Espanyol, and Lecce. They're the teams that survive. And you'll have nine relegation spots. Those would be Sampdoria, Verona, Bournemouth, Almeria, Cremonese, Valladolid, Monza, Cadiz, and Elche. That is my 60-team Frankenstein League. And please don't ask me to do that again. Um, I, I did consider throwing in the Bundesliga just to make it a bit more difficult on myself. But being honest, it would be Bayern, I would say, in second or third. Dortmund would crack the top 12. Leipzig maybe the top 15. And I'm not sure anybody else would be really in the mix there. To be The rest would be largely mid-table and a couple right at the bottom. So there was no point. And the same thing goes for uh, the French League where PSG would obviously be, I'd say, third or fourth. And then it would be a big gap and no one else would get in the top 12. And they'd all largely sit in the mid-table in the bottom. So there was no real point there either. Uh, right, I'm going to take a break. When we come back, we will go through the news and the gossip. And uh, that'll be it. I'll see you in a sec. Right, welcome back. So, uh, we had some international football last night. If you missed it, I can give you some results. Uh, whether you care about them or not, <laughs> I don't know. But France beat Austria 2-0. Kylian Mbappe and Olivier Giroud with the goals. Um, Mbappe's was pretty special. Giroud makes him the oldest goal scorer in the history of of the French national team. And he is closing rapidly on Thierry Henry's record as the top scorer for France. Um, Henry scored 51 goals in 123 games for the French national team. Giroud now has 49 in 113 which is quite remarkable because <clears throat> nobody would ever claim that Olivier Giroud was as good a player as Thierry Henry. But to be within two goals and 10 caps less, and I would imagine a lot less minutes played, is very, very impressive. And he has been super important. And I have to say, I thought France looked better last night with him than they have with Benzema. I, I just think they're a better team when he plays than when Benzema plays. And Benzema's a much better player. Much, much, much better player. But Giroud seems to bring the best out of the likes of Mbappe and Griezmann. Um, and I, I think going into the World Cup, I think that's a big, big question mark for Didier Deschamps. Who is the starting number nine? Benzema might throw the toys out of the pram, He's made some derogatory remarks about Giroud over the years, but the team might function better with Giroud up front. Um, Belgium beat Wales 2-1. Kevin De Bruyne and Michi Batshuayi with the goals for the Belgians. Kiefer Moore scored for Wales. The Netherlands beat Poland 2-0. Cody Gakpo and Steven Bergwijn with the goals. If you haven't seen the tables and are unaware of how all of this works, there is a Group A, a League A rather, a League B, a League C and a League D, a tiered system. So in League A, in Group A, there is 
Croatia, Denmark, France, and Austria. That is how they sit currently in the table. In Group 2, or Group B, it's Spain, Portugal, the Czech Republic, and then Switzerland. Group C has Hungary, Germany, Italy, and England. England have been fairly terrible in their... um, in their Nations League thus far. Losing twice to the Hungarians, should be pointed out. Um, Group D, Netherlands, Belgium, Poland and the Welsh. The group winners will all go into the semi-finals. The winner of the group D will play the winner of um, one of the other groups and then the other semi-final will be the other two teams and then they'll head on and meet in a final. Michi Bachuai is the top scorer from League A. Memphis Depay has the same amount actually. They both have three. In League B, which is your second tier, it's Scotland, Ukraine, the Republic of Ireland and Armenia. Oh, I should point out, if you if you finish bottom of your group, you are relegated down a league, which is, I think, quite fun because, well, largely because as things stand, England are in a position to get relegated, and I just would, I would find that funny. Um, yeah, so Scotland, Ukraine, Republic of Ireland, and Armenia. Uh, group B or B2, these are they're, they're known as Group A1, B1. Sorry, A1, A2, A3, A4, B1, B2, B3, B4, etc. So we'll just go with that. B2, Israel, Iceland, Albania and Russia. Russia were disqualified. They've already been relegated. Uh, B3, Bosnia, Herzegovina, Montenegro, Finland and Romania. B4, Norway, Serbia, Sweden and Slovenia. If you win your group in League B, you get promoted to League A. So as things stand, it will be Scotland, Israel, Bosnia and Herzegovina, and Norway, all going up to replace Wales, England, Switzerland, and Austria. Um, Armenia, Russia, Romania, and Slovenia would all be relegated to League C. In League C, it's Turkey, Luxembourg, Faroe Islands, and Lithuania in C1. Greece, Kosovo, Northern Ireland and Cyprus in C2. Kazakhstan, Azerbaijan, Slovakia and Belarus in C3. Georgia, Macedonia, Bulgaria and Gibraltar in C4. So Georgia, Kazakhstan, Greece and Turkey will be promoted into League B. Lithuania, Cyprus, Belarus and Gibraltar relegated into League D. And in League D... Oh, it's sorry. No, they wouldn't all be relegated. They'd go into a playoff. There's a playoff for relegation. So only two teams go down because there are only two groups in League D. Latvia, Moldova, Andorra and Liechtenstein. And then the other group only has three teams. That is Estonia, Malta and San Marino. Um, As things stand, Estonia and Latvia looking to go up. And the teams certain to be in the relegation playoff, Lithuania and Belarus with Gibraltar and Cyprus looking likely to join them. Although Northern Ireland are at risk, it should be said. So there you go. That's what the Nations League looks like. It's a little bit convoluted, but it's not bad. And it does lean towards helping with the... um, UEFA 2024 qualifiers. So it's not terrible. It's not terrible. What else do we have? Oh, bad news for Aston Villa. Bubakar Kamara's knee injury suffered at the weekend against Southampton has likely ruled him out of the World Cup and probably means we don't see him again until late December, early January. It may well mean that the next time he plays, he plays for a different manager because I don't know if Steven Gerrard is going to survive for long in that job. Things are not going well. 
Uh, England will play Italy tonight. And Roberto Mancini has said that England remain one of the best teams in the world, uh, which, you know, it's it's true. It's the one of the eight or ten best teams in the world. I don't think anyone would realistically say they're one of the four best teams in the world. Um, but, you know, they're, they're a good team, obviously. They could be a lot better. You improve the England team automatically by putting a real manager in and by stopping the selection of players who can't get games at club level um, or players who are just playing really badly at club level and actually pick your best players. There's a really good England team bubbling under the surface, waiting for the right manager. A really good England team. Now, the goalkeeping situation is not great. Pickford is average. Ramsdale's average. Pope is good, but he is 30 and he's not... He's not always consistent. I think Dean Henderson is the most talented, but he's also inconsistent. Um, So the goalkeeping thing is something you'd look to improve. Who that would be, I don't know. Maybe maybe Boxic at Stoke develops. But for now, I would say Nick Pope. Excuse me, Nick Pope would be the goalkeeper you'd look at. You've got loads of really good options in defence. Like just think of the right-back options. Trent, Reese James, Kyle Walker, Trippier, James Justin. You can't pick two of them that are good, but Trent and Reese James. Uh, left-back options... Ben Chilwell, Luke Shaw, again, James Justin. I should have mentioned Kyle Walker-Peters for right back as well. Um, so, you, again, you could go Chilwell and Reese James, uh, Chilwell and James Justin as your left-back options, and that's really strong. At centre-back, you've got Tamori, you've got Gwehi, you've got Stones, you've got Gomez, you've got Konza, you've got Ben White, I wouldn't be a big fan. Uh, I miss Tyreek Mitchell with the uh, the left-backs as well. He's another good option. You've got Levi Colwell developing huge potential. So you do have players who could make a very, very strong defence. Like a defence of Trent, Tamori, Gwehi and... James Justin would be very strong. It would be young, but it would be very, very strong. Very athletic, very quick, capable of playing a high line, aggressive in the air. In midfield, I mean, a, a double pivot of Rice and Bellingham is the, the long term, you, you would hope. That's a hell of a midfield, potentially. You've still got the likes of Calvin Phillips, Connor Gallagher. If he develops, perhaps James Garner. In the three behind, you've got very, very talented wing options. Saka, Sancho, Smith Rowe, Sterling, obviously, still. Uh, Grealish, Foden, Bowen. In the number 10 role, you've got Foden again. You've got Mason Mount. Grealish could play there. You've got Morgan Gibbs-White. You've got Jacob Ramsey. You could play Bellingham as the 10. Up front, you've got, obviously, Harry Kane for now. But you've also got your Ivan Tonys, Tammy Abraham, Ollie Watkins. Marcus Rashford can play up front or through the or, or in a wide role. Um like, there's a lot of really talented players. I didn't mention uh, Noni Mudeki. I didn't mention Cameron Archer. There's just a lot of very, very talented players at the disposal of England. I, you know, another right-back option, Tino Livermento. Superbly talented player. Etienne Green might be the long-term goalkeeping option. Might be. Joseph Bursic, I do like it, who's at Stoke. But he's been inconsistent for Stoke. 
Um, James Trafford of Man City currently on a boat and he's highly regarded. There's a lot of very, very talented young English footballers waiting for the right manager to come along, put them together and build something over a four-year window. So, like, ideally, you'd remove Southgate after the World Cup. You'd install your new manager. They would use the Euros as basically a proving ground for a young squad. And by the time the next World Cup rolls around, all of those young players will be entering their primes and very experienced, but still with loads and loads of runway to go in front of them. Like, think of it this way. Bukayo Saka in 2026 at the World Cup will be 25 years of age. He'll be about to turn 26, maybe 25. Phil Foden will be 26, 27. Jaden Sancho would be 26, 27. Emile Smith-Rowe the same. Mason Mount would be 27, pushing 28. Jude Bellingham would be 23. Declan Rice would be 27. Trent would be 27. Tamori would be 28. Gwehi, 26. And again, by then you'll have had others that will come along, like a Levi Colwell, like a Harvey Vale super highly regarded player at Chelsea. There's there's so much talent in England right now, and yet they're managed by someone who's too scared to actually go and try and win games. Unless it's against Utter Dross, he is scared to try and win games. He's unqualified for the job. This is a man who's one previous job prior to joining the England setup was at Middlesbrough, where he managed 151 games and had a win percentage of 29.8%, um, was largely dreadful and eventually sacked, wasn't in management at all for four years, got a job with England as the other 21 manager, did fairly well, to his credit, did fairly well, and then got given the senior job because... Sam Allardyce took a backhander. Bizarre. The fact that Allardyce was the choice after Hodgson. Like, Hodgson, Allardyce, Southgate. That is, that is terrible. It's absolutely shocking. But not at all surprising because this is what the FA want. You know, before that, obviously you had Capello who was very, very demanding. And while he didn't have the success he would have hoped at the tournaments, he did win 67, 66.7% of his games as England manager. Before that, you had McLaren. It was a mess. Sven, Sven did quite well, but again, the tournaments. But the thing is, with, with Sven and with Capello, the failures at the tournaments aren't on them. The failures at the tournaments are on the players. The failures at recent tournaments are on Southgate because Southgate's not putting his players in the best situation to, to exist. Um, I think Sven and Capello did. I just think those teams beat themselves. Now, the lack of a defensive midfielder in that golden generation, as it was called, was one of the biggest issues. Also the fact that a lot of those players were actually overrated, you know, most overrated centre-back pairing of all time. Um, the goalkeeping situation wasn't great back then. If England had a defensive midfielder, if they'd, if they'd had like a Makaleli, they probably would have won a Euros or something. If, they, if the rest could have parked the Eagles. See, that group of England players didn't play like a team. You watch that England defence with Neville, Rio, Terry and Cole. That's not a unit. That's two separate units of Rio and Neville and Terry and Cole. There's very little communication across. There's quite a lot of blame been passed back and forth whenever a goal went in. That wasn't a defensive unit at all. Same thing with the midfield. It was four individuals doing their own thing, largely. 
and there was no correlation between what the defence was doing and what the midfield was doing. You could see what they were meant to do. You could see what they'd been coached to do. It's just the players are playing their own game. They beat themselves. This England team, they're being held back by Gareth Southgate. They're being held back by Southgate. Like you look at the current England squad, and like let's be honest, there's loads of players there that have no business being in an England squad. The three keepers are fine. Walker's fine. Stones isn't first choice at City. Maguire can't get a game at United. Luke Shaw can't get a game at United. Chilwell's not first choice at Chelsea. Connor Cody's not very good. Jordan Henderson's been awful for two years. James Ward-Prowse is bang average. Jack Grealish has been really poor for City, isn't first choice for City. Jared Bowen's been in terrible form at the start of the season. You know? And, and yet these players are all in the current England squad. England could be one of the best teams in the world, like one of the legitimately best teams in the world, the, the top two or three. But Southgate holds them back. We'll do the gossip and I can be done for the day before I start shouting. Um, Where are we? Gossip. Leicester City intend to give Brendan Rodgers more time to turn things around. However, the reception he receives from the fans at the home game against Nottingham Forest could be key to the Northern Irishman's future. That is that is one of the more ridiculous things I've ever heard. And I, I read that article um, in The Athletic and it did seem like a journalist who was kind of sort of making it up as he goes along. And it's a journalist I do, I do think is very good. I think Rob Tanner is a very good journalist, but it seemed like a journalist who was who was guessing at what was going on more than someone who actually had real insightful information. Contract talks between Everton and Anthony Gordon are progressing well as the 21-year-old looks forward to a substantial pay increase. Manchester United manager Eric Ten Hag could decide Donny van der Beek's future in October. The 25-year-old has struggled for game time recently. This makes no sense. Maurizio Pochettino will wait for a top job in England, Spain, or Italy and is not interested in taking over at Nice. Scott Parker has emerged as a candidate to take over at Nice. Jesus wept. Talk about failing up. Christian, Christian, Casper Schmeichel has made a poor first impression at Nice, arriving overweight and upsetting managers by man, management and teammates by flouting club rules. That doesn't sound like Casper Schmeichel to flout club rules, but, you know, maybe. Uh, that's probably the most Nice content we've ever had on the Two-Footed Podcast. Eden Hazard said the situation at Real Madrid for him is delicate because he wants to be at the club but wants more game time. He's not going to get it because he's not as good as Vinicius Jr. and he just doesn't seem to want to play on the right. Said... South Korea defender Kim Min-jae, who has been linked with Manchester United, has a release clause of about 50 million euros, but it cannot be activated in January. Any club wanting to sign him will have to wait until next summer. Um, Barcelona have the option of terminating Gerard Piquet's contract in June of 2023, which is one year early, if he fails to feature in more than 35% of games this year. So keep an eye on that one. Argentina forward Paolo Dybala says the last few years at Juventus weren't easy and that the change of moving to Roma in the summer did him good. Uh, I would imagine it wasn't easy once Cristiano arrived and you got shunted from where you'd been the best player in Italy to being his basically waiter. Um, former Barcelona manager Ronald Koeman says he wanted to sign Ginny Wijnaldum when in charge of the Spanish club but he failed because the club president wanted to annoy me more than bringing in a player well Ginny agreed a contract with Barca and then it couldn't be ratified because Barca's financial situation was a mess AC Milan owner Jerry Cardinal will return to Italy in October, when contract renewals of 
Stefano Pioli, the manager, and Rafael Leao, the star attacker, will be among his priorities. Um, with respect to Mr. Cardinal uh, of Redbird Capital Partners, somebody in Milan now should be dealing with these things, and that somebody obviously is Paolo Maldini. England midfielder Callum Hudson-Odoi is catching the eye as a number 10 after starting four consecutive games while on loan from Chelsea at Bayer Leverkusen. He hasn't started all four as a 10. Uh, he played left wing in a couple and didn't look great, but he has looked better as a 10. He's another one I didn't even mention when talking about those England, the, the England talents. There's just there's so many of them. If you can't make an exceptionally good team out of that group of players, you, you, you've, gone, you've gone wrong. You are the issue. Uh, Paris Saint-Germain's signing of Lionel Messi from Barcelona on a free has so far generated $612 million in income due to commercial deals. Lies. Utter, utter lies. Nonsense. Absolute nonsense. Right, that'll do. I will speak to you all next week. Enjoy your weekends. Don't do anything foolish. Do something foolish. Do one little foolish thing. And I'll see you Monday. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.